Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You are listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, the show that takes a look at news, pop culture, tech, because in the end, everything's an ad. I'm your co-host, Shannon Miller, the creativity and inclusion editor here at Adweek. And usually sitting to my right is our international editor, David Greiner. But this week, we are doing something a little bit different. Uh, Continuing in the podcast's annual annual tradition of celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month, Luz Corona from our community content team hosted a candid conversation with members of our Adweek community about Latinx identity and how it impacts the way that they navigate the industry. It's a really interesting conversation. I cannot wait for you all to hear it. But before we dive into that, we do want to let you know that Adweek has a new original podcast premiering Wednesday, September 29th. On Adweek's Metaverse Marketing Podcast, host Kathy Hackle takes listeners on a journey into the future and prepares marketers to master the metaverse. We do have a clip of that to share with you today. And then once that's done, we dive right into the conversation. So sit back, take a look at the new podcast, and then from there, enjoy the show. When you hear the word metaverse, what comes to mind? Neon. Immersive. Revolution. The metaverse is having a moment, and we're not the only ones excited about it. The prospects of living in an immersive world are, in fact, beyond imagination. Now imagine a world like this connected to our real world, where you can meet, shop, work, go to school, play games. People come to the Oasis for all the things they can do, but they stay because of all the things they can be. This is Decentraland, a virtual world that's owned by its users. But what exactly is the metaverse? And how will we know when we get there? Or have we already arrived? Perhaps more importantly, what are the implications for our future? Our digital lifestyles are catching up to our physical lives. That's why Adweek is launching a new podcast called Metaverse Marketing. My name is Kathy Hackle, and I will be your host and guide on this journey into the future. In our first season of Metaverse Marketing, we will explore Web 3.0 and help you make sense of the metaverse beyond just the hype. Over the course of eight episodes, we're going to explore how the metaverse will impact fashion, sports, entertainment, gaming, culture, and even identity. Starting September 29th, I hope you'll join me and Adweek on this journey. Hello, everyone, uh, and welcome to a special episode of Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. I'm super excited to be here with 
three marketing professionals in the industry. Uh, I am excited to welcome Kayla Sutton, social media manager for fantasy superhero sci-fi at Amazon Studios, Santiago Pochat, head of social lab at Google, and Pavel Martinez, global account director at TikTok and founder of Plural. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Hello. Hey. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Um, happy Hispanic Heritage Month. I hope you've all been enjoying it. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to be chatting with you all today. And many thanks to Griner and Shannon and Nick for, for letting me take over. I don't, we'll see how this goes um, for Hispanic Heritage Month. But I'm excited to have you all today because I think we can all relate to something uh, super common in our community, uh, whether it's Hispanic and Latinx community, uh, and that is the topic of identity. So identity for us, it's a little bit complicated as we are in America, but we have our Latino and Hispanic roots as well. And this tends to pour over in our professional careers, our family life, our relationships, uh, so I, I'm excited to talk to you guys about it because I, I think we can all relate to this and, and connect on this level. So to kick this off, I wanted to start with a complicated question. How do you identify yourself? So for example, I use the terms Latina and Chilean American to define myself. And I use the term Latinx when I'm talking about the larger community. So Santi, can we start with you? Yeah, um, so I'm uh, I'm a first generation. I'm originally from Argentina. I only moved here about ten years ago. So I am squarely Argentinian. Um, I think you know the Latino agglomeration is a, is a is an American invention in many ways. Um, so I you know um, I still haven't gotten with the times on Latinas or Latinx uh, as as they say here necessarily, um, but I'm pretty proud to be Argentinian with all of our shortcomings, uh, which there are many of. Um, and I'm still fairly fresh and recent, right? So um, I grew up there, I have a lot of friends there, my entire family is there. Um, so uh, in that sense, I would say probably Ar Argentinian, Argentinian, Argentino is is really where I squarely sit. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, I'll take I'll take Latino, Latinx uh, in any day of the week. Great. Argentina, our neighbor. So I, I love it. I love Argentina. It's such a beautiful country. Um, Kayla, what about you? Um, so I am uh, Mexican on my mother's side. Um, my great-grandmother came here. She was 16. So I say Mexican-American, um, but there's also Dominican on my dad's side. So I try to straddle both worlds, but all in all, I'd say Afro-Latina because the, the Black part of me is very uh, important. So I would love to bring both of those together and part of my identity. So um, I use Latina interchangeably with Latinx, um, but then also I'm very much so like Afro-Latina. Like that's my, what I normally identify by whenever I'm speaking um, about myself. And then of course I use Latinx when I'm speaking about the wider community. That's beautiful. And, and Pavel, what about you? Yeah. I mean, it's identity is such a complex question for all of us and um, I identify as Dominican. I've always identified as Dominican. And I think that's a common theme throughout most communities. You know, there's a very like nationalistic pride, if you will, right? 
Um, I only say Latino or Latinx or Hispanic when I need to check a box that is for the government or a job application when I'm forced to put myself in that box. But I don't, I, I've never been approached and someone said, where are you from or, or where's your background? I'm like, oh, Latino, Latinx, right? So I've never done that. Um, it's more so when other institutions or corporations try to box us into a certain category. That said, growing up, again, it was very like nationalistic. I was always told that I was Dominican. Um, and I always assumed that people understood that when I said Dominican or when people looked at me, they would assume and know that I'm black as well. But I was never told growing up that I was black. That's something that I had to educate myself on and really understand um, and really be proud of. Not that I wasn't proud of it, but more so like outright calling myself Afro Latino, right? Um, and that's something that comes with education, comes with just, you know, being comfortable with more of who you are. But I'm getting more comfortable in saying like, not only am I Dominican, but I'm also Afro-Latino. I love that. And oh, go ahead, Santi. I think, uh, Pablo, you bring up a, a, a just like a, such an important point. It, a, you know, the, the idea, and, and both of you, I think, brought it up. I think the idea of like race or related with like the geography of it and then like the, the language part of it is so interesting. I make this joke that, you know, I'm I'm wider than most Americans. You know, I did like a 23andMe thing and I'm, I'm, I'm more European than literally <laughs> any, anyone in this country, I think. Um, which is weird because, you know, my, my first language is Spanish. I didn't grow up here. My life experience is obviously very different. Um, but yeah, when it comes time to check that box, same struggle, a totally different reason, right? Like, but same struggle. Like, am I Hispanic? Am I Latino? Am I Caucasian? Technically, yes. Am I all three? Yes. Can I check all three boxes? The government usually does not allow for that. But, you know, I feel like that that speaks to the complexity of, of trying to like bundle us up on on sort of like either geography or language as if like we were all like the same same people and like the reality is like we're missing out on a lot of stuff by doing that. I'm I'm stubborn. I will check the two or more box and then when it says do you want to elaborate? No, I don't. <laughs> you don't get to know. <laughs> Kayla, I like that. I'm going to follow your lead. That's good. <laughs> But I think you all bring up a great point. And this just reminds me so much of, I think this is something that's shared amongst most first generation, you know, or, or just, you know, children of immigrants is tracking that box. So I remember we had the MENA summit last year at Adweek, and the whole premise of the event was that there wasn't even a box that existed for them. They're not even, they don't even have a box on the census. So how is that supposed to make them feel in terms of identity? So it's just, I think you're right, Pavel. I think you're onto something in that it's that box that really is confusing and unnecessary. So I think, you know, this, this has obviously shaped our experiences here. Was there ever an aha moment that made you question your identity as Latinx or as American or as both? And Kayla, I, I want to start with you because I find the Afro-Latina experience from what I've learned, you know, that it's it's also confusing because you kind of you're part of more than one community, but you can you may get challenged for being more Latina or maybe more from the Black community or not Black enough or not Latina enough. So I'm just, you know, Kayla, what has your experience been there? Is there any moment that really sticks out to you when it comes to this topic? How long is this podcast? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, all day. Yeah. So um, my, I, I grew up on military bases. My dad was in the military. Um, so you really, uh, and I say this in like the nicest way, 
if you ever want like a diverse experience growing up, it's living on military bases because you don't know who you're going to be going to school with. You don't know who your neighbors are going to be. I ended up living next to a cousin that I didn't even know existed at some point. So it's, I really, when my parents divorced, I had a culture shock because when we moved to the South, it's a very, especially here in Georgia, there's a huge um, Mexican population. Um, and I'm the opposite of Pavel. I was raised, it was just more so like, you're Black. Be like, okay, like we know the Mexican existed, but it was just like, like you're Black. And um, I, you know, spoke, like I, growing up, I had, luckily enough, had my grandma Teresa until I was uh, nine and she was teaching me Spanish on the side and really helping like grow and cultivate that. Um, but I didn't really have my aha moment until maybe I was in middle school and I just started to naturally move over and start having more um, uh, Latino and Latina friends and, you know, leaning more and learning more on Spanish and more, more learning more Spanish. And it was just like, oh, there is this really amazing part of my identity that I haven't had a chance to fully connect with yet. And how do I, how am I going to do that? And um, I think I want like me and my sisters, all three of us really just kind of started to immerse ourselves because we just wanted to learn more. And it does play into that not black enough. And it was one of those things growing up, I never really put two and two together. They'd be like, oh, what are you? would be like, you're black. They'd be like, mm, there's something else there. Cause you know, the hair texture or I was lighter skinned. So I just really, it's one of those identity questions where it's hard cause you want to ask questions but you don't want to offend a certain you know family member. You don't want to act like you're rejecting any part. And um it's been a matter of balancing between both worlds, but I'm very, I, I love and stand in all of my blackness. I love and stand in all of my Latina. So like, it's just something that is become very ingrained in me. And there were things growing up that were like, yeah, I like this. Like I watched telenovelas with my grandmothers, but you know, it wasn't like I was super immersed in that because of my community that I had being on military bases really. And then leaving them was a huge culture shock for me. So then I just started to learn more and more about the community. So I was, I want to say it was like 12 or 13 when I had that, that happen. Wow. That's powerful. And you were a teenager. So you're already just developing, you know, into kind of going into your formative years. And you're also just dealing with this big question of identity. And I commend you for, choosing the path to immerse yourself and just learn as much as possible. Yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely tough, but I think it brought all of it actually ended up bringing my family closer together. And so, you know, it's now, I can now answer questions to my son and, and kind of, you know, bring him through this as well. Cause he's going to have those questions that I had. And, um, I, I, I always want to learn more. I was just like a student, like, I just cannot, not have enough information, like continue to give it to me. So I did the 23andMe and Ancestry and then, you know, found out that um, our family were, we grew up Catholic, but they were, you know, Jews from Spain that left from the Inquisition and moved to, it was a whole thing. So like, the only thing is that I will never tell my grandmother that I found out that she uh, is Jewish because she's been Catholic her entire life. So I'm like, <laughs> I will never <laughs> break that rule um, because it's just like a huge thing for her. But, um, you know, it was nice to find those things out because it answered a lot of questions for me. Um, 
and, and it's been a really nice journey to have. And, and that aha moment really just kind of pushed all that forward. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I agree. You can't tell your grandma and not because there's anything wrong. It's just that she has lived her life. This is part of her identity. Religion yep. is part of it. You yeah. Don't, you don't mess with the abuelas. Like, no, no. That's the unspoken rule of every, every family. It doesn't matter where you come from. Like, don't mess with the abuela. Like, yeah, just, yeah, leave it alone. I, I, I told yeah. my mom when the results came in and she was like, oh, that's awesome. Don't tell your grandmother. I was like, okay, great. I won't. Never yeah. mind. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> that's great. Uh, Santi, what about you? I feel like you, you have a different experience from Kayla because you're first generation. So you, you came here. How old were you when you came here? Uh, I was in my early twenties. I was, I was a full, I was a full adult, right? I came here with a job and I just like never left. And then I, I've made my own family. And I think something that, that Kayla just said, like resonates with me, which is more downstream for me. So I have two kids now. And, um, my biggest challenge right now is, in, you know, I get a lot of grief from my, from my mom is how much Spanish am I, you know, speaking to my kids. Like my, my wife is, is American. Um, she speaks Spanish, you know, she's trying. Uh, but uh, I, I struggle because I've I've made that switch, right? I think like for me, I had to detach a little bit, right? I, I think there's there's almost like two streams of people that come here. Like one, you you lean into sort of like your original community, right? And like that becomes like who you are. Like um, I, for whatever reason, honestly, I, I don't know. Um, sort of follow the alternative path, which is like my my own circle is not full of of other Argentinians. Uh, I have plenty of friends that are Argentinian. They're just like not here. So they're not like, you know, they're not in California. They're, you know, um, they're back home or in Europe. Like they've sort of like, you know, diaspora out of Argentina, but not here. Um, so for me, the challenge is a little bit more downstream. So I don't, um, I don't see myself as an American, mostly because I can't vote. So if I have no say, I'm not, you know, not in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of opinions. So I'll, you know, you can follow me on Twitter for those, but the <laughs> the the biggest challenge I think for me is is sort of how do I, I move forward, right? Because I think I don't want to make it more more difficult for my kids. You know, I um I do stupid stupid stuff, right? Like simplify my name. Like my name is Santiago, right? Um, but you know, people call me Santi. Like my you know my like little Google internet things, like just like says Santi, and like just I, I'm harder to decipher that way, but I'm easier to pronounce. It's like I don't want to make it more difficult. A lot of people, like, I don't care that much. Um, and how do I translate that to, like, my kids? How do I honestly, like, talk to other people about it? Um, I have people on my team who are um, second or third generation um, uh, Latino, Latinas. Um, and even the conversations that we've had throughout, like, Hispanic, Hispanic Energy Month um, on, like, what, you know, the company was doing and, like, or how our team could play a role in that. Like, it was so different. Like, my experience is fundamentally different like I didn't go to school here I you know it's it's not a part of like my active identity don't get me wrong I love to eat milanesas and empanadas like it's great right like um but it's not you know I don't get together with my friends and watch you know Boca Juniors which is like my my you know my soccer team Um, I just do it by myself which is different but um those are the things that I think are shaping my own experience here and I don't know if I'll ever feel American to be honest with you um, because again, uh, I did, I was, you know, early adult, but I was an adult when I came here. Um, I paid rent the first day I landed here, you know, like 
I didn't have to go to school or didn't have like a formative sort of like group of friends. Like none of those things existed for me. Um, so for me, even like my first group of friends were like just like a bunch of people that belong nowhere. Like, you know, this guy from England and like, you know, people were like, that were like were sort of displaced from their homes and just like immigrants sort of like find each other when you can't find anyone else. And so I'm still Argentinian. I think I'll always be Argentinian. Although like my Spanish is like aggressively suffering every year I live here. Um, so I always talk to my family and, and some of my friends over text, um, you know, as you do. Uh, they love voice memos though. That's like a, that's a very Latino thing. Voice yep. memos that I will never listen to. Uh, very, like WhatsApp, just, just going to spam. Um, so yeah, like for me, it's, it's really, it's really downstream, right? It's like, I, I, I look forward to the day my kids have a very difficult, weird identity crisis, uh, because I'm, I'm curious to like figure that out with them too. It's like, I don't know. Like, I'm still very invested in like politics there for some reason, as much as I'm invested in politics here. It's like, I do, I'm living like two weird like lives all the time. Um, but like my job and my family are here. So like, you know, English is what I speak and this is who I am and I'm just me. It's weird. <laughs> it's not weird. It's beautiful. Diversity is amazing. <laughs> oh, I, I, think, I think weird, weird needs to be re-co-opted as like a, as a positive thing. Yeah. Weird is, weird is an unusual, like everyone's a little bit unusual, like, you know, in their own way. Yes. I, that's uh, positive weird. Yes. Okay. So then we can use the word weird if it's in a positive way. That's great. <laughs> um, you know, I, I want to comment before I move to Pavel. I think I relate to so much of what you said, Santi, and that just reminds me of the language. Um, and I I feel like, you know, uh, our community, immigrants find each other, you know, just people of similar backgrounds. And I remember when I was working agency side, there I had a Dominican coworker next to me. My family said my Spanish has never been better because we were speaking Spanish every day. Of course, we we're talking about work and coworkers probably, you know, but um, my Spanish was so great and it was great to just have someone there. And I, I realized I missed out when I moved away from home and I went to the city on my own. And it's just nice to find people with similar backgrounds. So, Pavel, um, I have a question for you, but I would love to hear about your aha moment, um, because I think, you know, do you have an aha moment that made you kind of question your identity? Because you you have you do a lot of work in the community, which I want to touch on in a second. But do you can you think of a specific moment or something that led you to that work? Uh, I mean, it wasn't an aha moment as far as you know, knowing I was Dominican or like, or knowing I was black. Like I always knew I was Dominican and I always knew I was black. But there were certain moments throughout my life where people told me that in many ways, like I can't fit into both boxes. Um, I mean, I remember family telling me directly, like, no, you're not black, you're Dominican, right? Um, I remember even at work, cause you know, there's the black at ER group, ERG, employee resource group at Facebook, as well as the black resource group and all these different resource groups. And I went to both, you know, I participated in the black and Latin at employee resource groups. Um, and I remember this white colleague told me one day, oh, must be nice to go to both events. And I was like, actually, well, in my head, I was like, actually, it's really confusing. Um, let me tell you about this, <laughs> these like complex situations that I have to go through, right? But it's it's almost as if you shouldn't do both, as if you have to pick a box. Um, and I think that's a challenge, right? Like as much self-exploration and self-discovery that we want to do and education, I think in many ways there are sort of institutional uh, ways of thinking that 
don't enable us to explore that that side of us. So at home, there was like a, there was like nationalistic versus race, if you will. And outside of my home, there was a you shouldn't be more than one thing. Wow. That's interesting. And you heard that from it was that like a common sentiment? Like, can you tell us a little more about that? Uh, sorry, common sentiment at work, you mean? Like, no, that someone said that to you, that you can't be more than one, you know, like, was that in the, did you say that was in the workplace or did you say that was in your neighborhood or? Well, well, at home, I think at home and not even just my home, but I think many, and I don't want to speak for all Dominican communities, but in my experience, many of my friends groups, there is still that nationalistic pride, right? Where it's like, we are Dominican. It's not, we are not black. Right. And I, I've, I've heard that forever. Um, I think Cardi B has this really good quote. And she says, clearly, I'm not made from two white people fucking. And I think that's so funny, because it's like, most people would look at me and assume that I'm black, right. But internally, there's sort of like this, I'm sorry, not internally, but in many communities, there's sort of less like disassociation between like nationalism and race. And there's like a very strict line. And I think that's a very old school way of thinking of it. And the more research that we do, the more answers to DNA tests, the more that we open our eyes, we realize that, no, they're actually together. and They don't have to be binary. Yeah, definitely. And um, good old Cardi B. She's always a good pop culture. Santi, you had something? I think, yeah, I think like, uh, Paul, you bring up a really good point about sort of like ERGs in general. I think, you know, it goes back to like the checking the box. Right. It's like we try to like crew people up sort of like by like a defining characteristic or like a place of origin or like what language they speak. And the reality is like that's actually one of like the larger myths, I think, particularly in um, happens in the U.S. and like uh, Asian in the Asian community and uh, in the like, Hispanic Latino communities as well. Like I get the um, so you speak Portuguese. It's like, well, sort of, I do, but like not because like, it's like language that I actually speak. And there's this like confusion that like, just like everyone's like sort of like the same, like weird monolith. Um, and the reality is like, to your point, like there's diversity within these like countries, right? And it's almost like looking at America and being like, oh, so like, you're all American. So th- like there's no like, you know, problems. It's like, it's like completely uniform. It's that just like simply not true. It's like saying that countries, I don't know, that have like, you know, high uh, national like standards for themselves right like don't experience like racism because like you know we are all the same we're all like i don't know americans like there's no racism here like we're all the same like from the same place it's like that's just like not true and i think ERGs are are, to me one of those like really fascinating sort of modern developments of like corporate culture which is like you're trying to build these forums to bring people together and you end up erasing so much of like what makes people unique as a part of that um, and this is not a dig at ERGs. I think like people that are, are active on in ERGs and uh, I am uh, myself at, at Google, like they're great and they're great resources and they're great for career building and they're great for like connecting with other people like you and finding sort of your communities. But like they shouldn't be seen as this like, you go here and I'll go here, right? And you can't sort of, you can't be more than one thing. It's just like not who people are and, and just like pretending that like we're not. <laughs> It's just, it's just a defeat, a self-defeating thing. It's going to like end up breaking the whole, the whole group. I have so many thoughts on ERGs that I can do a whole episode on, um, <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's interesting to see how they'll, they'll flush out and um, 
So, Pavel, that reminds me, you know, this is a question that I wanted to ask you specifically because of your podcast, Tu Quien Eres, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, if that's the name, but basically you speak about what it's like to be part of the Latinx community in the workplace and how often we have to kind of fit this mold that wasn't even created for us. And you spotlight people from the community and their workplace experiences. Can you tell us more a little bit about that? Like, what have you learned from everyone's experiences and the people that you've had on your show? Yeah, no, thanks for asking that question. Yeah, the podcast is called Gintueras. And it's the question that I really want my guests to answer. It's like, who are you really? Because I think for so long, many of us hide who we are at work. We present a completely different person. There's even data out there that says 76% of us hide who we are at work in some way, whether it's how we speak, how we dress, how we show up. And if you think about it, that's three out of four of us. That's insane high of a number. Um, and people think that it starts when you, when, when you join corporate America. But what I've realized is that we start code switching at a very early age. I mean, for my example, I remember growing up, my grandfather, he would go meet up with his friends just to have a drink in like someone's house. It's like three dudes just chilling. He would wear a full on suit to like go get a drink with his friends. And it was this idea around like perceptions, other people's perceptions. And how can you get to their heads and shape that perception before they put a perception on you? I mean, very early on, he would tell me, don't ever get a tattoo, don't ever grow a beard. Um, you know, all these things that he would tell me, he said, do you see presidents with beards? Do you see CEOs with do-rags on? No, right? So I understand what he was trying to do. He's trying to protect me from people's perceptions. But indirectly, what he was also telling me was that I should be more white if I want to be successful, right? And I think it goes around this idea of professionalism, which is, if you really think about it, is defined as the skill or competence needed to do a job. But so many of us have been trained that there's a completely different definition of professionalism and it doesn't fit into who we are. You know, I'm, I'm in a leadership role at TikTok. I've come out of interview roundtables and people have said, oh, I don't, I don't know if I like her. She's, she's a little unprofessional, right? And I think many times we get caught up in these vague terms that don't really mean what people are trying to say, but more often than not, people of color get blanketed with these general terms and get penalized for things that they shouldn't get penalized for. So the podcast is really exploring the conflict that we often face between authenticity and professionalism. I completely agree. And I think there's so many points in that that we can all agree with, um, especially the tattoo part. That's something I do you guys do your parents disapprove? Oh, Santi, I see you with the sleeve. I see. <laughs> did did they have did anyone have any comments about the tattoos? That was always a lecture I got growing up about, you know, to be a profesional, uh, you cannot have tattoos. You got to make it and, you know, just kind of look like everybody else. You know, I, maybe at some point I I think I got really lucky too. Like my family was just very open about it and um, you know, I I think they were worried in, in, in some degree. Uh, they also don't understand what I do necessarily, like on a daily basis. So, you know, I think they've, they're happy that I'm successful and I'm well-fed and that I can like support my family. Like they don't really, you know, care about how I look. So I got really lucky. Um, but yeah, I think like that stigma exists. And I think, you know, people of color, I, I come from like a, a to the totally opposite side, right? Like um, I'm a covert Latino, uh, I am. 
you know, like a super spy. Uh, I am extremely white, right? I am pale. I burn at the beach. You know, it's bad. Um, my 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 mom and my sisters are like very brown. They're like, you know, it's the Greek side of my family. They're like, they get tan really well. Um, but I don't. And, and I, um, you know, to Paolo's point, I use that actually as a superpower. You know, like they don't they don't see me coming in that way. Uh, they don't know that I'm looking for that stuff. Like they don't know me. Um, they just know what I look like. It's actually a lot easier for me to just like challenge those those like stereotypes when we see them in like interviews and listen, like it happens constantly, right? I, I, regardless of where you are. Um, but I've made a point of, of trying to like hyper leverage the fact that I'm not exposed in that way, that I don't have to fight that stigma to make sure that I'm like, I'm talking about it. And I'm like, I'm, you know, saying like the weird, difficult things because like, I know the repercussions will be lesser for me. Like if I don't, if I don't expose myself, if I don't talk about my background or my origin, my accent is almost gone. My name is easier to understand. So like it passes like, you, you know, insert white person here. Like I can pretty much pass as like your average, like middle America person if I really wanted to. Um, so I, I, I do most of the time, but I, I use it tactically to Paolo's point, like when I see something going wrong or when we see like that sort of like bias, or it's like, hey, Kane, I, I gotta say something because it's it's my place and my role. And, and I think recognizing that on the other side um, where I have not experienced the hardship, um, but I know it exists, so I, I see it. And then I can like use like this like weird superpower that I was just like, just lucky to be born with, which is like, you know, being white passing um, is critically important. Um, because like sometimes part of that is like being unprofessional. Like when I got my sleeve, like everyone was worried that I would never get an office job. And then I got like a series of office jobs. Like, you know, um, so I, I like the, the almost like the challenger aspect of it. And I do think like things have relaxed quite a bit. You know, the advice that we used to get, I don't know. 15 years ago when I started working is very different <laughs> than the advice that I'll probably get today. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that like people still think these things. That you walk into an interview, like I wear a hoodie to work, right? Like every day. Or like sneakers and a hoodie. I wore shorts to a meeting the other day. It was very strange. I felt weird about it, right? <laughs> I, 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 sh I shouldn't. Because it's encouraged and it's totally accepted and it's totally fine. And the person that I had in front of me, like they didn't even like blink. It's totally fine. But I still have this like sort of nagging uh, because we have to do better. You have to be better than everyone else. You have to be more, more put together and you have to be smarter and you have to be more professional. It's like, I still have the little voice in my head, uh, but it was never as loud as like, you know, Paul's like uh, a window saying like, just don't do it. It was more like, it's just going to be so much harder for you. Like, don't do this yourself. Like, you, you know, like you're going to make this like so much, much harder. Uh, it's, it's a little bit different and it obviously come from a very different different place about it. Yeah. And, and it's almost like we have to unlearn everything that we kind of heard growing up and just realize that, no, I, I have talent, I have brains and I am professional. And just because it doesn't fit your description of it doesn't mean that I, I'm not. So yeah, I, I completely hear you, Santi. Um, and I think we were all cracking up really hard when you said you are co covert Latino. Is that what you called yourself? <laughs> that's when pe do people speak Spanish around you and they don't think that oh, you I understand? That's actually one of my favorite things. Like it used to happen a lot when I first moved here. So I first moved to San Francisco before living in New York. And 
um, you know, I would be waiting for food or, or I had a, like a, a Hispanic Latino server or something like that. And um, I would just hear sort of the buzzing, you know, like uh, if like people who work there or like people around me um, uh, and just being able to like be a part of those conversations honestly shaped a lot of my experience here because like this unexpected, um, you know, not uh, collaboration is the wrong word, but like this, this complicity that like, I can bring to the table and I'm, I'm actually like, I'm actually one of you guys. I know it doesn't look like it, but I'm definitely one of you guys. <laughs> you got to trust me on this. Um, and, you know, me discovering that was like totally new. I, I, you know, I've, I've never, I had never lived in somewhere where like Spanish was not like, you know, the most widely spoken language. So understanding that, like, I should just be forward with that. Like, uh, I know, I know a singular place where I had most of my meals when I first came here and like, I built a rapport with those people, like by coming in and just being myself. It's like, oh, this is this is who I am. Uh, so being less afraid of that is part of it, but um, using it tactically is is definitely uh, a challenge. Yeah, for sure. And I I totally hear you when you say I'm one of you, you know, and and you just hear them speaking Spanish and you just want to let them know. Uh, Kayla, I, I want to hear from you a little bit in terms of what yeah. your career building experience has been in in the U.S. and um, you know, I want actually wanted to ask you this. Uh, did you ever find yourself comparing it to your your parents' journey? I mean, you had a military upbringing, so that's very different. How how did that all shape your career experience and your identity in the workplace? A social has always been like um, a big part of everything that I do, and and I've I've spoken about it uh, before. But um, I was the kid on the military base. So we picked up and moved all the time. So it was making friends all over again, every other year, every two years. Um, so social once it became big, uh, I was in high school and Facebook and Twitter and, and MySpace and all that stuff was happening. Um, and it made it easier for me to, um, connect with people and build communities and, and find people of a common interest. Uh, so it, it really made sense. I was also that kid that got on the report cards, you know, straight A's, but always in behavior, it was needs improvement. Great student talks too much. So like, it's just like one of those. And I'm like, I'm, I'm Latina. I cannot help it. I'm so sorry. I just have so much to say. Um, <laughs> So I think it really, that was something that my family kind of saw coming and I was just very creative. I did not want to do anything um, that was going to have me tied somewhere, um, not doing something that I, I loved. And I think my family was very disappointed that I did not go in the medical route because my grandfather is doctor my dad's pharmacist and then you get anesthesiology and then my grandmother is a nurse. And then I said, uh, fuck that. I, <laughs> uh, marketing, let's do it. Business communications. Um, but they were very supportive. Um, as the first of the, I'm, I'm the oldest. So it was the first one going to college and it, it was definitely something I've noticed. And I always wanted to be cognizant of in my career tra tra trajectory. Um, I never wanted to be on the running an account and being on the end of oh, they don't have a person of color running this account or they would not have done this. So I'm very cognizant. Um, and it kind of goes back to what Santi was talking about, that superpower in the room. People don't clock me right away. People try to figure me out. My husband thought I was black in some 
Asian descent when he first met me. And I was like, no, um, Asian features are a huge thing in Mexico. Just <laughs> like, here's this picture of my grandmother and all her sisters and they're all super tiny with very distinct Asian features. It's a thing. Um, but he, you know, people don't clock me when I'm in the room and they don't clock the Latina at all. It's, and it's kind of one of my superpowers until I bring up the Spanish. Um, but then another thing, and it ties not so much into race, it's just my color. It's a colorism thing. Um, I'm lighter skinned, so I'm less threatening. Um, but like the first thing I'm always going to do is speak up, right? Because I, I'm, I don't play that. Like, I don't do colorism. Like, that's not my jam. Like, you know, that's a very outdated way of thinking. And so that's another thing that I add to like a superpower in the room. Because I'm like, oh, she's, she's light skinned. She's not threatening. But no, like I will be the one to call it out in the room because I don't ever want to be like, I need to be the one in the room saying no to things, being cognizant and being aware. Um, and I think that's also just been very ingrained in me by my parents. My parents had me very young. And so they were able to help kind of shape my way of thinking and grow that alone, along of being like, as the oldest, it is my job to be the voice and, and be the leader and I've taken that into every role that I've had and it may not make me friends when I flag something um, but I'm coming at it as a space because I'm a part of these communities right I am part of these um, you know in my role fandoms are very white um, because people or the perception is fandoms are very white um, but there's never a lens where they give platforms to nerds or geeks of color right and I'm the one in the room to be like, okay, so we need to be diverse in this attempt, right? We need to make sure that we're thinking of everybody. We cannot just think of that one. We cannot think of the stereotype of what you think a nerd or a geek is. Um, so it, I think that, that my identity and being empowered by my parents really shaped how I have been able to move within my career um, to make a difference in the room and be the one to say, we're not gonna do that. And I don't, I don't care if it doesn't make me friends, in the end, I've always heard, yeah, you were right. And I'm like, I know, but I mean, <laughs> you fought me <laughs> to get here. <laughs> exactly. And I, I think you make such a good point and it's something we hear so much, but I think you put into actual words why it's so important to have diverse teams. It's because people with different experiences, different backgrounds, different cultures, it's, you know, that's why they're in the, they should be in the room to speak to you know, topics of today and everything and provide a diverse perspective. And that's, you know, I commend you for doing that. It, it is what we have to do. And that's why it's so important to have diversity on teams. Um, so this brings me to my final question for you all. Uh, you know, the the whole point of, of you know, it's, it's great. I love that we do this episode every year because it's a way of teaching the industry that, there are a lot of nuances in the Hispanic and you know Latinx community, whatever you decide to call it. There's a lot of nuances. There's a lot of different challenges, complexities. And all four of us on this are very different. We had different situations and we have similar values. So it's something important for the industry to understand. So my final question to you all is how would you what would you advise to marketers of today on how to message the Latinx community? What is the work that they need to do? What is it 
that they need to understand to really effectively reach this audience? Um, Santi, let's start with you. I think that, um, and this is going to sound kind of productive, uh, the number one thing is to stop trying to use like Latinos as an audience. Um, because the reality is, this is one of my favorite things, and I um, remember I had a very meaningful conversation with uh, Diego Scotti, who is Argentinian's uh, Verizon CMO, once about this. Um, the reality is like there are more things that connect all, all of these groups within the Latino community, Hispanic community, whatever you want to call it, uh, than divide us, right? Um, the easy one is language, usually, but I feel like that's like a little bit too abstract. But, you know, these are people that are listening to the same music, you know, insert other demographic here is listening to. These are people who love the same games, who go to the same restaurants, who travel to the same places. Like, they're not a monolith. They don't deserve to be treated as a monolith. Um, and we're all, we're all better if we, if we understand that by, like, trying to group them together, uh, we're actually doing a disservice to, like, the diversity that exists within this, like, monolith, right? Um, so what I would say is, like, um, start thinking more about those like connection points and, and connective threads that tie us to potentially even other communities versus like trying to like appeal to us as like, you know, people who speak a specific language or who like a certain food or who do like things a certain way. Um, one of the things that I'm, I always talk about and I'm really proud of is like the smaller changes are actually a lot better than, than doing like big stuff. Right? If, if you're looking at something like creative, um, you know, changing the situation or changing the way people like look or like who you're casting, like smaller changes, right? Not going like, or we're going to have a campaign that's all in Spanish. I'm going to have a campaign that's all in English. And we're going to target it, you know, to the DMAs that are like predominantly like Spanish speaking. And they're not going to see any of this other stuff because the reality is like, you're just continuing to minimize and stereotype a group that is enormously diverse. Like I can't, it's one of the most understated like diversity pools ever. Culturally, racially, life experiences. Like, I mean, and, and you see even like the, the division between like South America and Central America or sort of like the over-indexing of like uh, Mexican populations in the US. And the reality is like, there's a ton of people that come from a lot of very different places whose experiences are very unique, right? As a point out, but that continue to get erased little by little, right? Um, like I once tried to explain to someone like why, you know, like pupusas are so good. Like, well, I didn't grow up like eating pupusas, but like I can appreciate like a good pupusa. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but not making an effort to understand that like those things exist. It's like, um, you know, like the reductive version of it is like, well, like, oh, like you're like Latino. So like you must love tacos. It's like, well, that, that's, I do. Yes, admittedly, obviously, but like, it's not a defining characteristic of who I am. Like the food that I eat is not a thing, right? Um, the music that I listen to is not like a thing that like defines who I am. So trying to target based on like who these people are is, is the first thing that I would say. So make, make smaller everyday changes, make changes to your creative, make changes to your copy. Honestly, be yourself as a part of that process. Just like that alone is such an added value versus like trying to push for, I don't know, an enormous budget for a Hispanic campaign. It's like, we're, gonna, we're only going to do lag grabs from now on. It's like, well, that's performative. And like, it reaches no one uh, by doing that. So it's like, just concentrate on the day-to-day -day stuff. And, and really, the aspiration should be change and normalize this across the industry versus like, start a whole new stream just for us. We should be doing this for everyone else. 
Right. It, it even it begs the question, like multicultural teams, multicultural leaders, like, you know, do we do we need those or should is the right move to move to gen market and just know that it's very different personalities, different values, you know? I think to, to Paolo's point about uh, ERGs, I feel like that's like a whole, I have, that's like a whole episode, right? It's like, what is multicultural if you're not building teams that are multi, like that are just like diverse? Like that should just be the thing that you do versus just hiring, but it's like, um, you know, this like trope of like hiring a DEI lead and then just like calling it a day. Just, just hire a person of color to do the DEI stuff. Well, that's terrible. You're burning a person who's struggling with this exact problem that you're now asking yeah. them to solve that you perpetuate. That is so bad. So bad. And yeah, so yeah, incremental small change, find your people, push for for smaller things, I think is, is the thing that I would say. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of this actual, this voice piece that we have coming up um, from Mita Malik from Carta and she speaks and I'm sure we've all had these experiences where uh, you know there's a Hispanic campaign and they want somebody in the room who's of Hispanic Latino background and it's like speak on behalf of your people and it's just like no actually I should have already been in this room to you know provide input on the tactics and the strategy and not just like be the one person in here with brown skin uh you know i i always i find that interesting i think you know has that happened to you guys i'm i'm sure it has oh always it's always a thing but i mean especially for social but i think what's been really you know refreshing about my team that i'm on and the teams that i've been on over the past like here is that my voice has been in the room for things that aren't directly for a Latinx point of view, right? Because I can give you, like, if I'm in the room and it's why I love my job, like I am a huge nerd. I'm staring at my Funko Pops. I've got all kinds of things all over the place in this room. Um, And I've always been shut out because before, you know, fandoms were a smaller space, but being able to be working on the titles that I do work on, um, and be the one in the room, I'm, you know, giving a voice and looking at things from a, my, my lens, it's automatic. My lens is already a diverse lens, right? I don't need to go in and like change that, that I'm always going to be looking at stuff that way. So having me in the room automatically gives you that, especially on, if I'm working on a white title or it's just like predominantly white cast, you know, we watch the, like to Santi's point, we watch the same things. I've seen every single episode of The Office multiple times over, right? So like we we consume content, we consume entertainment, we um, consume everything all that everyone else does. So it's something that um, I've talked to some people that are coming up, and this is what they want to do. And I'm like, just like you know, you just be yourself. Um, and you bring yourself with you every single day, then it's nothing new and it's nothing shocking, but it does impact your work when you're bringing yourself to it. You'll see, you'll be a lot, um, you'll be happier and more content with what you're putting out. Um, so like I said, my biggest thing in the world is for never to put something out on social and they say they did not have a person of color. Be like, I'm here, I exist. I checked them before it went out. I, I flagged, I did what I needed to do. Um, cause you can clearly see, and we've all seen it happen where they're like, Oh, that did not come from a person of color. Did a person of color check this? Did anyone, did they have people in the room to gut check? Um, so never be the one be, and I think that's my biggest advice. To everyone is like, never be a, the afraid to be the stopper in the room. 
I don't care if that's what I am um, stopping for a reason. I'm saving you. I'm saving you the trouble and the headache of backpedaling on bad marketing. Um, because the goal is to put out something that's successful, right? And as a team, I'm not going to do something that's going to be hurtful on a campaign to anyone because we all have the same goals. Um, but yeah, it, it's a it's a it's a it's a very tricky space to enter. Um, social is just super volatile. We already know that it's just a very um, it can be very racist. So I was just keeping those things in mind every time and not letting it get in my head. Um, because that's the one thing that will happen working in social, you will get in your head and be very, um, self-conscious about what you're putting out there and the perception. Um, but at some point you just start letting go and you feel so much better about what you're doing. And then the work just starts to speak for itself. Yeah. And I think that's valuable advice for brands in itself, you know, just don't be afraid to speak up in the room in general and just kind of do a gut check. It's like, are we on, are we doing the right thing? Are we, you know, what is our goal here and how can we really effectively deliver this message? And is this on point or is it getting a little far away? I think that's such valuable advice. Um, Pavel, my friend, let's end with you. What is something that you'd like to communicate to the industry about this about the Latinx community and how to really, what to take into consideration to effectively deliver messaging. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I want to say that I empathize with marketers because I run my own small business. And when I started running ads, I was like, oh, this is the large community. I'm going to use the term Latinx, you know, in my caption. If you see the comments and number of people that were so upset with me, oh my God. I, I was like, oh, and this is me as a Latino, as a Dominican, right? Imagine these organizations, which let's be honest, they're run by white men, older white men for that. They're probably like, what do I call these group of people? Is it Latino? Is it, do I include every single country in South America and the Caribbean? You know what I mean? Like, who knows? So first of all, I want to say it's difficult, but so is running this multi-million dollar organization that you're running, right? Like you all can figure it out. And I want to mention that you don't have to do it alone. Like, I mean, on TikTok in particular, right? Like we're seeing a huge influx in the, in, in money going towards creators, right? With brands understanding that they don't have to know how to talk to every single audience. You can empower and enable a diverse set of, of creators to tell that story in an authentic way. Um, and I think that diversity piece is really important because to Kayla's point, you know, when I see ads targeted towards the quote unquote Latino audience or Latino audience, can't believe I said it with that. <laughs> in that English professional accent, you know what I mean? Huge quotation marks. <laughs> um, but I see a lot of white Mexicans, like not the Mexicans are not the only group of Latinos in the world. Right. So that's one side. I just want to empathize with, with marketers because I get all, I get people all up in my comments as well. Um, and I struggle with that. Number two, I think some of these platforms like the Facebooks, like the YouTubes, like TikTok, and who knows, I may get fired for this, but you know, the, the quote unquote Latino audience is probably the most engaged audience when it comes to mobile, when it comes to video, when it comes to internet, all these consumption patterns. Yet the only products that these tech, huge tech companies create for us is around small, medium sized businesses. Like when you think about original programming, um, they don't invest in, in our community. I mean, sure they do after they test general market ideas. I would like to see like some of these brands should be look more like Univision than Univision does. Um, so I think that's another area. And then three, from a demand side, when you think about buying the actual media, 
I've sat on countless meetings and with brands and they literally allocate a yearly strategy towards such a niche audience like gamers who are between the ages of 13 from like 18 and 21 that live in New York. Yet they won't allocate those same dollars and allocate a strategy towards an audience that has a huge audience size and buying power. So I think they need to like rethink their strategy and really reprioritize who they talk to as well. I'm going to, I'm going to add one last thing. This Pablo just made me think about it. Uh, please stop asking the Spanish speaking people on your team to translate copy for the love of God. Just, <laughs> I've, I've, I'm, I, it's, it's such a struggle. Cause I'm like, I don't think you guys understand that my Spanish is old Mexican. It is, uh, best friends growing up were Puerto Rican. So I speak Spanglish that's Island specific. And then also somewhere because I grew up with Brazilians, Portuguese, I, I'm going to mix <laughs> this up and mess it up for you every single time. I'm so sorry. You're better off using Google translates. <laughs> My number one pet peeve is just asking the person that is the thing to do the thing because you can't buy, be bothered to find the professional who does the thing. Like there are copywriters who speak perfect Spanish. That is their job is to write copy or translate. There are full-on professional people who just translate stuff. Finding the people who are diverse in their team and asking them to like burden your ignorance is bad. Please stop sending us your translation copy. Like please stop doing that. Personal pet peeve. Oh, stop outsourcing, stop outsourcing work to ERGs. Oh, yes. Like if Amazon could build a, if Amazon could build a rocket ship, they could, they could go hire a Latino copywriter. I, yes. I yeah, Absolutely. I hear what you guys are saying. I, I will say from experience when I was, I used to get asked to translate copy. Uh, I would find the nearest huddle room and just call my dad up and just be like, how do I, how do I do this? How do I do? And then I would send it to my Mexican friend because I'm like, I speak in Chilean slang. So I really need like another three sets of eyes on this. But that was like a few years ago. Things that things have progressed. Please just stop asking us to translate copy. Just invest in the copywriters, please. <laughs> You'll never know the struggle of trying to translate video game copy for words that, that make no sense. And you have to make them make sense into Spanish. It is very interesting uh, and very much wow. so a struggle. I learned the oh. I learned the Spanish word for sorcery because I've never used it in my entire <laughs> Spanish life. <laughs> I hear you. there's some words we just don't know. We don't because we don't use it. It's not how do you and not everything translates directly. That's like number one rule too. Kayla, I give you a lot of credit. That that is a whole other world. I'd love to be a fly on the wall during those conversations. <laughs> um, well, I think this brings us to the end of our conversation. Thank you you three. Thank you, Santi. Thank you, Kayla. Thank you, Pavel, for your time today and just sharing a little bit of insight and happy Hispanic Heritage Month. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and thank you all for listening and joining us today. The theme music is by Home. Podcast is produced by Nick Gardner and edited by Lane McGivney. Please be sure to leave a review and send any feedback to podcasts at adweek.com. That's podcasts at adweek.com. For Adweek, this is Luz Corona. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Happy Hispanic Heritage Month. <laughs>